On this episode, I interviewed Kurt Platt, owner of an incredibly successful architectural firm. But what's really remarkable about Kurt is that he's a warrior against addiction. Let's listen. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. So I heard about your recovery story, and that's why I invited you on. Um, Listeners, Kurt is, to me, one of the, there are many important warriors against the this opioid epidemic or heroin epidemic, and I think Kurt is one of the most important. So I would love for you to share, I mean, you've got such an incredible story to share because I think people often believe that drug addicts aren't my brother or sister they're not the people that live next door to me and that has totally changed it's totally changed yeah um so we're in an environment right now where uh the heroin epidemic is what they're calling it i i just it's addiction i've i've watched addiction take so many people's lives um for decades um actually my um, oldest sister died from a heroin epidemic or heroin overdose um, 20, 22 years ago. And, you know, it felt epidemic to me. Mm-hmm. It was an epic experience and therefore it had epidemic proportions to it. Um, but, yeah, to sort of give a sort of a, a brief summary of what that looks like, um, you know, I started using. Um, you know, I, I'm 53 years old. I was born in 64. Um, I started using when I was 13 years old, 1977. Using? Um, smoking pot and drinking for the most part, but experimenting with just about everything from 13 till I was about 18 years old. I had I had probably used everything um, except maybe heroin and a couple other things, but... Uh, experimented with it, and then sort of got comfortable with alcohol, and then therefore um, did this long, slow uh, experience with addiction. So I I drank for a long time, but um, later in life, um, when once we had a couple of children, um, I started experimenting again um, with cocaine, and um, and then that that uh, grew, and um, I I got caught up in a crack addiction that was devastating. Was heroin around then? Yeah, sure. It was. Yeah, actually, the well, dope boy that I copped dope from was pushing heroin on me all the time. And why didn't you? Um, I liked cocaine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just liked. Right. I, it was my drug of choice. It's, yeah. I lo- I, it was just what I was looking for. But eventually you'd stop using cocaine, right? And you'd use crack, right? Yeah. Or yeah. would you like? Very similar, but yeah. So it's a similar high. It, very similar. Of, yeah. Okay. Okay. And what and I would Yeah. And what I would say also is a lot of people differentiate, especially with this heroin epidemic and the opioid um um uh surge yes. and 
But really, it's it's addiction, and, and whether it's alcohol or it's weed or it's heroin or it's anything, it, it is all the same thing, and the, the solution is always the same thing. And the solution is? The solution is first to become abstinent, but the other is there's a physical and emotional and a spiritual aspect to the solution to this thing. I know a lot. I watched the news this morning and they had somebody on there talking about um, uh, addiction and what they've learned about it um, with the neurotransmitters and the, the pathways to the brain and talking about how the brain is different with somebody who is addicted and and I agree with that there that's true but the newscaster said well what are they doing about some sort of um, uh, vaccine for addiction and for me that would be the most tragic thing that could ever happen is coming up with a vaccine for addiction because addiction just brings you to a place where most human beings come to on their own or eventually have to come to. Some people get there sooner, some people get there later, but they have to wrestle with what fulfills them. Where do they, what's the source of their fulfillment? And if I'm finding it in people, places, and things, um, I will not be a fulfilled person. I won't be a... I, I won't have much to give away. Yeah, I, I'm not moving forward with purpose and intentionality. It just doesn't happen until you get to that place. So whether addiction's a failure, whether you lose your business, whether yeah. you get a divorce, yeah, I think what you're saying is is that you you kind of have to hit that rock bottom in order to find that source of fulfillment, right? And that's a gift. It's a, an incredible gift. And some people get it at these really, what I would consider these high, you know, and you talk about a bottom. It's, um, I don't know what rock bottom is. There are bottoms and you choose your bottom. It's, and I, I've seen people, you know, I've got a friend of mine that I think he was 13 years old and he got to a place where he, he, he was, not okay with not having purpose in his life and i was like what wow. the heck? you know that that wasn't my story right. but that's really cool but what a beautiful story for and him. his life is all about serving people and laying down his life for other human beings and he's a beautiful man and he's got a beautiful life and the way he approaches people is um, extraordinary can you say more about this this piece around giving it away um yeah, yeah, I think that's what it's all about. Um, how do you get there? Is that the question? Or yeah, why is it important? What's what's that learning lesson around giving it away? Because in well, recovery, yeah. we'll talk a lot about the fact that you know you have to hit that sort of rock bottom or whatever your bottom is, like you said, the thirteen year olds, whatever bottom it is. Um, and then once you figure out what your purpose is, then the more you give away, the more you get back, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, my favorite people are the people who give it away and don't want anything back. Right. And um, 
And sometimes those people are my favorite. I've got a, I'm going on a trip as soon as I leave here for recovery. We're, we're doing a 30 hour, what we call drop a recovery bomb on a city. We get, we're driving into West Virginia and we're going to go do that. And everybody that's going to be in the car with me is one of these people that give it away. And I'm telling you, they, they get things back and they don't even recognize it sometimes and they're not even looking for it and they don't need it. And what, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Hey, tell me more about what you guys are doing this weekend. Well, it, it's for 12-step recovery. Um, they've asked a handful of us to come out and speak um, at a 12-step meeting. And um, one, we call it a speaker jam. You just rack and stack your people. And, and they, they speak and they, they tell their story one after another after another. And um, so we just... We're renting a Suburban, and we, we just pile in the car, and we tell all kinds of crazy war stories on the way down. And then we go, and we speak, and uh, we get lifted up and filled spiritually, and we come back, and it's like a, a spiritual experience. Yeah, a high, so, almost. Yeah. But, but giving it away, it's um, – in. I'm telling you, everybody – has to wrestle with us, but in recovery, it's almost like uh, the human condition on steroids. It's you know everything's magnified. It's ten times. We're we're more emotional. We're more depressed. We're we're we have these highs that are extreme and these lows that are extreme. And even when we get clean, we don't seem to lose that. And so what happens is when we come into recovery, it's all about us. How do I get mine? How do I hold on to it once I get it, whatever it is? And how do I prevent you from taking it from me? Yeah. And it's all about um, me. It's the most self-centered thing. It's you know selfishness, again, just magnified to this extreme level. And when you get clean and you get into recovery and you go into 12-step recovery or you have a spiritual experience, um, most people find out it's really not about me and and great fulfillment and so we start giving it away and we don't try to hold on to it we we intentionally try to give it away even and sometimes to the point where people aren't even taking it and you're getting upset <laughs> you know? it's like come on man I'm trying to give you this gift and yeah. so that's that's what I was talking about. You know, giving it away, it's not just important. It's, um, it's a natural experience. It's a natural flow. Um, once you have that, that epiphany, that awakening, that awakening, whatever you want to call it, there's a lot of words for it. So that, those experiences, how did you take those, that life experience and how have you taken those gifts and applying it? with your companies or with your clients? Okay, yeah. Um, so with clients and with, number one, it's it, my company doesn't mean a whole lot to me. It just doesn't. If it disappeared and vaporized tomorrow, You'd be fine. I, I wouldn't lose one second of sleep. It just doesn't mean that much to me. And if you look at the priorities in my life, that's number six on the list. And if I need to pull an all-nighter to um, get a project out, it moves to five. <laughs> <laughs> it never makes it to four, never, ever will. Yeah. 
Um, and I try to express that to the people that work for me, my team, uh, to the point where I've got people who I tell them if they work more than, say, 50 hours, two weeks in a row, I'll fire them. If they put work ahead of their family, if they put work ahead of their purpose, um, I love what we get to do. I love our craft. Um, I think we're very gifted in it. I think it benefits the city in a, in a really um, important way. It's significant, but it's not more significant than, you know, them taking their child to a ball game. And, um, and I, that's what I've learned through this whole journey. And that's how I, I put it in front of my, my team and even with clients, um, we do a lot of nonprofit stuff, so we give a lot away. We kind of, um, you know, I, I'm a part of a church where we tithe, but we also tithe uh, at the company level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I let people know that that's what we're doing. And so they, they get to pick what things we go after for that. Um, so that's one thing. The the other thing is is um, learning how like not to take things personally, knowing that even when a client turns sour and it happens and things aren't going our way, they're not the enemy. They're never the enemy. I mean, ever. And uh, because I've gone through things where I went through a failed business where it, and it ended tragically. It was about a fourteen month experience and. At when the was end, this? Before? Um, this was um, when I launched my architectural firm. I started a, a – I was 50% owner in a construction company with somebody. Okay. And in 14 months, um, we signed up like five projects to go build them. It was $2 million worth of construction. And at 14 months, I found out that my partner had um, basically put us – three hundred thousand dollars in the red and um and so we weren't really like happy with one another right and it was legal and it was bad it was as bad as could be um i mean it was tragic and we everybody said we were enemies and i had to learn that he wasn't my enemy and he didn't intentionally do it he he mismanaged stuff. He underbid things. Um, um, and I had to go through a journey. That's where I really learned it was looking at him as this broken human being who was trying his best and he failed. And trying to – and this is how I did it is I had to look at him through the eyes of his children. And, oh, and that, was, that. that was really powerful. Um, he had three sons, and um, they they thought he was um, Superman, and and he was broken, and he was depressed, and all these bad things were happening, and uh, we were coming against one another, and I, I gave that up. I, I surrendered it, and I just went and cleaned everything up and moved on. And uh, how how were you able to get to that point? Look at him. Through the eyes of his children. Through my faith. It was through my faith, you know, through a lot of prayer and um, just being in listening and, and being prompted and um, moved. Uh, it wasn't me. It, it was outside of me telling me 
I want you to do this. <laughs> and I resisted for a long time. Um, and that was you know, at the same time that you were opening up the architectural firm? Yeah, the architectural firm was up and running, but it was struggling because um, of what was going on with this. I had to go, I had to spend 18 months without any pay and go clean up things to make sure that there were no lawsuits. Um, and in the end, there were no lawsuits. Um, and I was the one that had to do it. And by doing that, it was like, I tell people, I felt like I got um, a, a Harvard degree in business by doing, I did forensic accounting. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, and I, I mean, I like the draw and paint. Right. <laughs> I don't want, I hate accounting. Yeah. Um, but I learned so much from it. And what I learned most was stepping out into a risky situation with just a primal, savage faith and knowing that the power is going to show up that wasn't coming from me and in um, a fully surrendered posture. And I just love that now. That was so hard then. It, it took so much like belief mm -hmm. and now I'm not um, I, you know I read a lot of stuff and there's one author that I love and he calls it instead of at some point you're a believer in something or whatever it is but at some point you've experienced enough of it that you don't have to be a believer anymore you're an experiencer and that's what I was doing is, and that's what I do now I love experiencing extreme situations where it's very uncertain and there's no answer and there's no straight line and there's um it looks so improbable and i just get jacked up when i go into a situation like that yeah i've been journaling the last couple months yeah and so anytime i have what i like that i call a god shot and i have a little yeah. symbol in my journal so that i can keep track uh just like be able to look back uh, but it also keeps me observing. Yeah. But I, I really like that experiencer. Yeah. A lot. It, yeah. It's a it's a beautiful place to be. It, now it this experience. It, so I've got this team, and this team is amazing. Um, but it freaks half of them out because they're like A types, and they Wait, they which like team? linear at, at work. At work, yeah. well, everywhere. My family <laughs> everywhere. My <laughs> wife's a, a linear person. <laughs> So it's, uh, but I, when they're freaked out, I know I'm in the right spot. It's, I, I know things are going well. Mm. Okay. So you didn't take pay for 18 months, which I'm like, how yeah. did you do that? How well, did, was your wife working? I mean, yeah, just my from wife, a practical yeah. standpoint, and you had three kids then. My wife was working um, and I sat down with her, told her what was going on. I mean, she didn't even want me to start a business. <laughs> but like I was saying at the beginning, it's not like I didn't do this out of great courage with a great business plan. I, I already said that. It's um, basically, you know, the wheels had fallen off. My addiction had gotten so bad that... Um, was that during the addiction? It was right before. I had three months clean when I started my business. Okay. And at three months clean... Nobody would hire me. I was blacklisted basically from the industry that I worked in. Um, you know, it's it, it, nobody's going to hire somebody after what I had. It, it became pretty public what was going on in my life. It did. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
I wasn't on the news, but within the industry in the that I travel in, that I'm in, it, it just became pretty, pretty clear what was happening. So, um, so I had no other options. So I started my own thing. Shortly after I started my own thing, I mean, at three months, I'm in this business with this other partner, and 14 months later, I'm going through this cleanup, this toxic waste cleanup. And did you relapse uh, during then or no? I didn't. Actually, I relapsed um, about a year after that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had about two years clean. I stopped doing the the, the, um, work. the faith stuff. I got really complacent. Um, I put work ahead of everything. I put it number one. Mm-hmm. I spent can, a lot of hours at work. I, you, I said that it would just be a season. And once I'm through that season, it, it would take maybe two months to get to the next place. And then I will recalibrate and reprioritize. And then I, I relapsed and, and I was relapsed. out there for four months. So what are your top three or four? God, recovery, my wife, my children, my friends, and then work. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. All right. So that's so basically you get clean. You start this new business. Yeah. You clean it up. Yeah. You relapse. I relapse. Yeah. And then what? Um, I relapse and I and I I get um. I come to a place where I would say you know, and I I talk about coming to the end of yourself. This would be like end of yourself times a hundred. It's um, you know. It, People who have a, a a period of time clean and try to get back, it's really really difficult. It's um, it. So when when you stay clean for a period of time and then you relapse, a lot of people say that you pick up right where you left off. You know, and, and some people argue that that's not even true. Um, what's actually true, and this is true, this is this isn't a debate because <laughs> I experienced it, and this yeah. is I, I, I'm an expert on it because I lived it. Is you pick up where you would have been had you been using that entire time. Um, I had a friend of mine that um, had 22 years clean. He had an operation. They gave him morphine. Um, he picked heroin back up. And he picked up as if he had used for 22, 22 years. years. And the progression had taken him to this really nasty, nasty, nasty place. Um, and that's that's where I found myself. Um, I almost didn't make it back. But when I did make it back, my priorities were completely changed. How did you make it back? Tell that story, um, if you will. Well, like, you know, my wife, you know, you were – you and I were talking about, and you were calling me a warrior. I'm, I, I am just a um, a cook in the mess tent <laughs> compared to my wife, and I would call her a general. If you're talking about warriors, um, my wife had gotten healthy enough and stopped enabling me, stopped um, fixing my problems stopped handling me with uh, delicate gloves or deli- like I was some fragile thing. And and so she told me one day, um, she knew I was using, I, I admitted it, and um, she said, if you pick up 
one more time or if you if you disappear one more time or if you fail to interact with the kids the way you promised to one more time um you're out and um and and sure enough i used one more time and i came home and my stuff was all packed up it was on the front porch and she said um hey um okay give me your key and here you go this is what we agreed upon and um, call me when you have 90 days clean and we'll talk about you having access to your children on a limited basis Mm. and i was like wow (laughs) she really meant that one and so i walked out and um i had alienated everybody i had become completely isolated i had broken every promise i had made to anybody um, nobody could trust me. And I walked out onto the street with my stuff to get my car. And I thought, I'm homeless. <laughs> I'm a 42 year old architect <laughs> and I'm homeless. And um, so I went and I moved into a, a recovery house. I begged the man to let me in. I was on the board of this recovery house. I helped start it. And talk about humble. And I pie. moved into this nasty little room in this house um, and started a journey and started from the beginning. Right. Yeah. And uh, it was it was beautiful. <laughs> it was really I live with 60, 16 smelly, gnarly guys. One guy that came in right after me. Um, had these crusty work pants on socks. It was um, around Thanksgiving. It was really cold out. Yeah. He had a T-shirt on that had a hole in it and a sweatshirt over top of it with a hole in the same spot where he had knotted out and um, on heroin. And he what had does been, knotted out mean? I don't know what that means. Well, he, he used so much heroin that he, you, you basically fall out. You, you you the euphoria and all that stuff it's the state that you're going for you basically pass out oh okay but you call it nodding out because that's the like that it, yeah like nodding okay you're yeah okay it's uh it's what a lot of people are doing while they're driving and killing right. people yeah right so if you hear about those accidents that's what's going on um, but, but why he, did he have the whole He had there? the whole because he had a cigarette, and he, when he nodded out, the cigarette no fell way. on his chest. And he had been living under a bridge for about six months. And he was in the room right next to me. Did and, he stay clean? Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, yeah, it, it was. It, He's my brother, and you know he he's become my brother, and he he's a beautiful man. Um, but um, yeah, that so that's that's how I got started, and what happened at that point is I made a uncompromising, unconditional, savage commitment to the reco- to being in recovery and pursuing God's heart. And that is absolutely the most important thing in my life, and it always will be. And um, that commitment looks like, you know, I'm very plugged into a 12-step recovery program. I, I get to sponsor a whole lot of guys, and they sponsor guys, and they sponsor guys, and they sponsor guys. It's, I have a great, 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 great grand sponsee. Oh, my gosh. 
and yeah and, and you get to do things like this weekend where you yeah this weekend get yeah. to go serve and have fun yeah and, it's like a tribal war party going and, <laughs> and bringing it against the enemy and the enemy's the disease yeah, of addiction when i is. get in that car so yeah well, I loved that story, and I heard your story before, and I just think it's it is so inspiring. Whether it's it doesn't matter what people's addiction is or bottom is, but I think that the key pieces are what are your priorities. You yeah, know? sure. Well, and staying focused and not losing sight that um, you know there's we are in this epic battle, and um, you know, you can call it. You know, the heroin epidemic, the opioid epidemic. Um, it, you know, my dad was a workaholic. Right. Um, you know, the generation he worked, he grew up in, that was an epidemic. You know, there was a lot of families sitting at home wondering where their dad was, and he was trying to get affirmation from his boss. And on their deathbeds, they regret it. Right. <laughs> it's just... It's the same. I mean, that's same. Cats in the Cradle famous song, right? It, yeah. Talking about that. Yeah. It's, it's the, the same. same thing. And so it's like, how are we learning from this, you yeah. know? And, yeah. And so I, I, I do, I think that that whole focus and it's, and 12 Steps is, can apply to many different things. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, um, you know, when you, when we're talking about this battle and, you know, there is something that comes against us and I, it almost doesn't matter what you believe in. It's real. Um, and you can call it what you want to call it. The, the beautiful thing about recovery is you can call it the the disease of addiction. When I go to church, they call it Satan. <laughs> you know? yeah. When you go, you know, in other arenas, they call it different things. But there's something that is coming against us. And it's not people it's an entity and this thing wants us to get comfortable it wants us to get complacent it wants us to take it wants us to fill our lives with busyness and manyness and and um the next thing and the greener pastures and all these things and and it's of epidemic proportion and therefore the the heroin epidemic just kind of just jumped on the coattails of that that phenomena that's going on in not just this country but in the on this planet and so that's why i think these podcasts failing forward are so important because i think um, it gives people the opportunity to share what those challenges were and gives them hope yeah for gives others hope so that we can learn and improve and become the the human beings that we're supposed to become or be. Yeah. Um, you are amazing. Is there any last thoughts that you think are important to share that we haven't gone over? Um, I just, you know, I would encourage people, um, whoever's listening to this, and um, thanks for asking me to do this, and I don't even know what the audience is. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just... I'm just like cowboying the thing. You're doing, just, we do you're that doing with great. everything. Yeah, um, I mean, the audience really is is anybody that's interested in self development. Yeah, you know, cool. Becoming a better person. And what I would tell people is, you know, be bold and um, make sure that um, that faith and um, risk and adventure and mystery and. Um, Anything that requires you to step out to where into 
be very uncomfortable. That's and that's what I do at like my work, and that's what I do with my sponsees, and that's what I do in the recovery community, and that's what I do anywhere I'm on a board. Um, and you know, I just tell them, like, man, if we're comfortable, there's something wrong, man. <laughs> you know, I just yeah. And if You're we right. stay comfortable for a long period of time, I'm out. I have no interest in being here. And I tell people that at my work, and it kind of freaks them out a little bit. When I say I'm I'm out of here, if you guys, if we're not on the edge, yeah, um, and and it's not just to be on the edge. It's not thrill seeking. It's purpose seeking. It's it's um, intention seeking. It's it, it's lo- changing the world. It's you know you can't change the world if you're comfortable. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so I would encourage people to do that. I would also encourage people to explore this the idea that it's a lot of people fo- laser focus on certain things you know it's just like they're looking for the magic pill for um, addiction and when they're looking for the and you know I heard a quote recently it's like tell an addict that they think they found a pill that cures addiction and what's the addict gonna say I wonder what two will do. I was going to say, and how I wonder many if I, I snorted it. What would happen? You know, and so it's it, it's not about the symptoms. It's not about the condition that you you find yourself in. It's about the journey forward, and it always has to do with inner healing of some sort. And it's a physical, it's an emotional, and it's a spiritual solution. Always, it's always that way. And it's never just one thing. Amen. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Anna Bolke, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. On the next Failing Forward, imagine a closet of misfit toys. This is my next guest's symbol of success, Mike Hoding, toy maker. <laughs>